Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, let's pray as we look at God's word together. Father, we do want to commit the year that lies ahead of us into your hands, our lives as individuals, as families, and also as a church family. Father, we ask that it would be a good year. We know that it will be hard in many ways, and so we pray that you would strengthen us and set us on the right course as we look at this passage now. Lord, please speak to each one of us. Help us in our hearts, to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, for the last few years, I don't know what um, Christmas presents you're excited about using, but um, for the last few years, my mum has bought us, uh, yeah, I'll say us, a subscription to um, the the BBC food magazine, the good food magazine with all the recipes. And um, it's quite an annoying present because it sits there and the food in it looks so yummy and you think, well, oh, I think I'll make that. But then you look at how complicated it is and um, I haven't heard of all the ingredients, um, wouldn't know where to buy them, that sort of thing. But um, when we got back from all our travels, I was browsing through the January issue and, and it seems like people are interested in having a healthier new year Maybe that's you. If you've had a bit too much meat um, or chocolate or cheese over the Christmas period, and according to Good Food magazine, what you need is lots and lots of vegetables. Lots and lots of vegetables will give you a healthy, happy new year. Well, spiritually, this passage is giving us advice about spiritually how to have a good year. And the surprise is that it's similarly salad based. Have a look. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good deeds. Now, I hope you'll excuse the dreadful pun. But these are three words, three little words from the author here that are worth remembering. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us stir up, draw near, hold fast, stir up. These three little statements, 
they sum up in many ways the whole of the letter, but they also set us up for the new year that is ahead of us. And so what we're going to do very simply now is look through them, look through the three of them, but we're going to do so in the wrong order. Um, First of all, let us hold fast. It's second in the paragraph, but it's helpful if we look at this one first. Let us hold fast, because it draws us into what is the central message of the book, which is this, that on the journey of faith, there is pressure to stop. On the journey of faith, there is pressure to stop. The writer in this book, as in much of the Bible, he describes the Christian life as a journey, not in the sense that sort of thought for the day, Radio 4, a spiritual journey where we're never quite sure what we believe. Not like that. It's a journey in the sense that we have been promised as God's people a new creation. He promises us a better country, a place in the end, a place where we will be with him. And he says that we are to set our lives on course for that place, the place that we are going and not for this place that we are passing through. Hebrews 11, the great um, heroes of the faith, that chapter, puts this really well. If you turn the page, the paragraph from verse 13 there, it describes what it means to live life of faith as a journey. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. That is the journey of faith, to keep on going, to keep on trusting God and following him through this world, this life that we're passing through until we reach the promised rest of his new creation. That's why um, as Christians, we can face the end of life with a particular strange confidence. I guess many of us over the Christmas time will have been spending evenings, uh, spending time with Older relatives, maybe, people, um, members of our extended family who are not Christians. And it strikes me, you can really see the difference between a person for whom life is going somewhere, a destination, a journey, an end point, and someone for whom life is just a journey but with no end point, not really a journey at all. Life's just a ride that's there to be enjoyed, and it can be a fun ride at times. But it isn't going anywhere. And we see, we see, and it's, it's sad to see how that view of life, not a journey, just it breaks down into aimlessness. And it breaks down very badly at the end of life. Whereas the Christian can say in the words of chapter 11, verse 16, that we are longing for a better country. And by God's grace, we will get there. However, What the writer is talking about in this letter is that we need to finish the journey. We need to finish the journey. And that isn't easy because on this journey, following God all the way through until the end of our lives or until Jesus returns, until the new creation, there is pressure. 
pressure to stop. Now, in the writer's mind, the pressure takes a number of forms. There is hostility, hardship. Laura was praying for Christians in other parts of the world where physical hostility, violence, for being known as one of Jesus' people. So if you look at the end of chapter 10 from verse 32 there, the writer talks about a time earlier when the Hebrews had endured a hard struggle with sufferings, being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction or being partners with those so treated. They even endured the loss of their property as they were robbed or imprisoned for being Christians. There is that kind of hostility. There's also shame. The shame, the embarrassment associated sometimes with being on this journey of faith, being a follower of the Lord Jesus, being a, a Christian, not just a Christian, but a, a, um, an evangelical Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, a wholehearted Christian. We know, many of us, that that isn't easy at work or with friends. There is this pressure of shame to take the foot off the gas spiritually. But perhaps the most awkward, the most troubling pressure that the writer talks about is not from outside, but from inside, as repeatedly in the letter, he talks about hardness of heart, our own hardness of heart that causes us to turn away from God and stop listening to him. Often it's something that attracts our attention and we're drawn away from him. Sometimes, though, it's not something as dramatic as that. It's just the natural urge to want to put down roots in this world, to want to get comfortable. It's not comfortable being a pilgrim, a sojourner, passing through. You want to put down roots, and that's very understandable. We will all have felt that pressure, I'm sure, as we think about houses and jobs and pensions and things. We all know that pressure. But if it builds up too much, and if we don't see things God's way. I have a friend who puts it like this. The, um, most people fundamentally don't mind paying their income tax. It's the 31st of January, so that might be on some people's minds. Most people don't mind. I mean, it's not, not pleasant, but you kind of understand that it's the right thing to do. But I just hope that there's enough left over for me. And it's very easy, isn't it, to let our Christian life become a bit like that, our serving God, our being in church, uh, reading the Bible. I know it's the right thing to do, but I do hope that there's a bit left over for me and for now. That, that view can creep in, and it slows us down on the journey, that the pressure of a hard heart. So the pressure is there from the outside, from the inside, and it leads towards two dangers. The first danger that the book talks about is a kind of radical stopping. I, I've changed my mind. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And the journey ends. So I think of uh, a friend from uni days. He was um, a couple of years above me. He was ahead of me in the Christian life as um, a small group leader in the church. But then he, he stopped. It was all very sudden. He, he stopped. He, he saw something, um, something he wanted. And um, it was wrong. And he knew it was wrong. But he, he didn't care. He went after it. And that was the end of his journey. And Hebrews, in chapter 10, uh, chapter 6 as well, it says very sobering things about that possibility, that reality. You know, I, I have my friends, and I'm sure that you'll have yours, uh, who, who have 
gone that way. And the writer says that often it is not recoverable, not recoverable, that kind of radical stopping. But he also talks about another danger, which is less dramatic, but no less fatal, which is drift. So back in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Drift is slower, it's gentler, but it ends up in the same place. So I think of another uni friend. Um, Again, he was a keen Christian, a really nice guy, a lovely guy, and he still is. But um, the ambitions that he had in mind for himself didn't have a lot of room in them for being a wholehearted Christian. And um, he's achieved those ambitions in his life, but he, he's drifted off course. It started when I knew him very slowly. He, he had a few issues with, um, with church stuff. So he, he started to go to another church that was a bit less clear about the Bible, about the gospel. Over time, he started to go there, even um, a bit less and less and less. And then it was more... It wasn't a radical decision. There wasn't a point when he said, oh, no, I've changed my mind. But he drifted, and he drifted, and his journey's finished too. Uh, it's a sad thing to think about. It's a very sad thing to think about. I, I have my friends, and I'm sure that many of us, you've been Christians for a lot longer, you, you'll have your friends too. And we know that it's true, that on the journey of faith, there is this pressure to stop. But the writer is saying to us, To us, let us hold fast. On the journey, because of the pressure, let us hold fast. And if you are here on Sunday evenings, you'll see how he bangs that drum again and again and again. Just have a quick look. Chapter 3, verse 14. It's very interesting. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? What is somebody who has come to share in Christ? See the writer's answer. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who finishes the journey. We tend to talk about somebody who becomes a Christian when they start the journey. And of course, it's right that we get excited about that when someone puts their trust in Christ and begins that journey to live for his promises, living for the new creation. There are People here need to start that journey, and we'd be very excited. But the real thing is to finish at the end, to hold fast. That is the thing. Now, how do we do that? How do we hold fast practically? Well, a big part of it, I think, is being aware of the danger. A big part of it is hearing the warnings of a letter like Hebrews and being aware of the danger. Because it means that we are able to look, when it comes, to look at the temptations, whether they're a big one, something that'll derail us in a one something um, sexual perhaps, or f- something financial, or something more gradual, something more everyday, just the, the growing urge to settle down, to stop traveling, to nest in this world. We're aware of the danger. We can look at the temptation and we're able to say, that could be the end of me. That could be the end of me. I'll steer clear. Practically holding fast also means effort. It's that kind of language, isn't it? Practical effort. Uh, 
The writer has that kind of feel. Hang in there. Take practical steps. You know, if you look back over 2014 and you think, well, I've fallen for the same old sins, then do something about it. Take practical steps. Quiet times are in a mess. Take practical steps. But above all, hanging in there means remembering the faithfulness of God. Just look back at the verse, please, in chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So warm, the writer. He points us forward and says, think about the future, that what, what God has promised, that new creation, and he is faithful. He's going to keep that promise. The destination will be worth waiting for. And it's as we look forward and trust the Lord and want to be there with him that we will hold fast and keep on going. But the writer pulls us forward, not just with a future hope, but also with an offer of present help. He says, hold fast. But he also, secondly, he says, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Now, it's a very long sentence from verse 19. But um, if I read it again, we should be able to see the point of it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The key to finishing the journey isn't just about what we do, it's also about how we think. And so in the letter of Hebrews, what we have is these clear and rich descriptions of Jesus and what he's done for us in dying on the cross. And where we are, this little paragraph this morning, is at the end of a very long section about how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament priesthood and the sacrifices. You can see that in the language that he uses, both the structure and the content. He's saying, therefore, since this, since this, let us draw near. Having explained all of that stuff, therefore, the application is draw near. But also in the language he uses, he talks about having confidence to enter the holy places, uh, going through the curtain, since we have a great priest, having our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed. Now, I think it's fair to say it's a tricky section. I think it's coming about February. If you see Robin or me or Andy Robertson or Neil and we're looking a bit old in February, it'll be because we're been put on to preach on Hebrews 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Um, but the point of it is very clear. The point of it is very clear that Jesus is the priest that we need. He is the one who can grant us safety in the presence of a holy God and access to him and help from him. Now, it's hard to get our heads around this, partly hard to understand, but also hard to feel it because when did you ever feel, oh, I really need a priest? We know what it's like to need a plumber or to, to need an electrician or a hairdresser or a lawyer or something. But when, when you say, oh, I need a priest, well, that's what the writer is going to show us, that we need a priest for safety and for access. Because the God that Hebrews presents, 
the whole Bible, but Hebrews very clearly presents us as not a tame, safe, small kind of a God. Have a look at um, chapter 10, verse 31. The writer says, it's a, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, for a sinful person to fall into the hands of the God of all justice. It's a fearful thing, unless we have a priest to help us. Or turn the page, please. Chapter 12, verse 29. What's our God like? Chapter 12, verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. Not a small thing to talk to God. It's not an easy thing for somebody like me or you to do. In the presence of a holy God, we need a priest who has made a sacrifice, who can build a bridge between us and keep us safe in his presence and give us the right of access to this God. And what this section is saying is that Jesus is the perfect priest. You pick that up in the language in the verses in our paragraph. He talks about laying down his own body, his flesh, his human flesh, as a sacrifice making a way for us through the curtain into God's presence. His sacrifice is once for all. We're washed clean once for all. Elsewhere in the letter, the writer says he sat down. Jesus finished his work and he sat down. He offered his sacrifice and it's finished. There's nothing more for us to do. And now, Jesus, our priest, pleads for us. He intercedes for us before the Father The bridge is there because he is both man and God to grant us access. That's how the writer speaks. And in the light of all that, he invites us to draw near to the Father, even now. To draw near to the eternal God who, nevertheless, is a consuming fire, but we can draw near now through Jesus. And when we do that... It's as if we taste, we get a glimpse of the future that is coming. The full acceptance, the glory of the new creation, the help and presence and smile of God properly and forever. That is how we finish the journey, the writer says, by being conscious of what Christ has done for us in enabling us to draw near to God, to be with him to be with God, to be in his presence consciously. That is what will keep us from sin. Or that is what will bring us back from it. That is what will speed us on our way, wanting to serve him, not as a chore, but as a joy. What does it mean to draw near to God? Well, it it sounds a lot like uh, speaking to him, in prayer, both privately and also together. It sounds a lot like listening to him as we read the Bible. And yet it is possible, isn't it, to pray and to read the Bible without really drawing near to God. It's talking about that, the times when we're aware of what it meant for Jesus to grant us that access. When we say to God, look, I I know that I'm not fit for your presence, but Jesus died to wash me clean. Thank you for accepting me. Now I need your help. Please keep me going today.
That's the writer's second word. As we face the new year here, let us draw near. And his third is it's closely linked in many ways. <clears throat> because as well as needing God's help, we also need the help of one another. And often those two things are the same, aren't they? That's often how God helps us is through his people. And so the final word for us here, the final word is let us stir up one another. Let us hold fast. Let us draw near. Let us stir up. If you think about the writer's whole approach, it has been addressed to the Hebrews as a church, to them all together, corporately. Let us do these things. Because the Christian journey is not an individual pursuit. It's a team sport. It's a team sport. It's like cycling. I don't know if you've ever watched the Tour de France. Apparently it makes a huge difference if you're cycling. A huge difference to the speed that you're able to go if there are others around you who are also traveling in the same direction. Or more simply, if you're out for a walk in the hills, it's helpful to have others to keep you going when your spirits are flagging or to help you find the way. Well, that's what the writer is saying here. Let us consider how to stir up one another. To stir up one another towards love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Now, what does that mean practically? I think, again, a big part of it is just being aware of the effect that we have or can have on one another. I wonder if you view being in church, coming to church on a Sunday morning in that way, that I'm here not just for myself to hear, meet with God, sing, praise him, but also to encourage one another. That horizontal dimension, being aware of that. Don't we want this? We want this very much to be a church, a place where people speak to one another, a place where it's easy to settle in and fit in. And something as simple as that really can make all the difference to a person getting going, staying going as a Christian. I remember that when I was just making a start in the Christian life. Often I was not inclined to go to church. But the fact that I quite enjoyed seeing some of the people there was enough to keep me going. I hope we can be that sort of place. Or with people who you know a bit better, aim a bit higher. Don't just try to be good company. I hope you are good company, but more than that. We try to be provocative, spiritually provocative. That's what the writer means, isn't it? Stir up. If someone stirs you up, we need to learn to ask and say things towards one another that will spur one another on, speed us up on the journey. Questions like, have you been enjoying anything lately in the Bible? Or, how can I be praying for you at work this week? Or, this series that we've had in church, what have you been getting from that? Just simple questions to spur one another up. And of course, a lot of this, maybe that sounds, I would never say that to people, starts with just being together. It starts with just being together. 
The um, story of the, the Highland elder uh, sums this up very nicely. I imagine it's supposed to imagine a quiet and somber Highland elder in a parish who goes to visit a parishioner who's stopped coming to church. And the, the, the elder is a man of few words. So he goes, they sit together. And after a while, he picks up something from the fire and extracts one of the bits of wood and puts it on the side of the hearth. And slowly it goes black, stops burning, and gets cold. After a bit longer, puts it back into the fire. and It gets going again, along with all the others. And there's a look from the elder, and then he leaves. And the man he went to visit understands the point, that there is a power, a warmth in being together, people heading in the same direction, that's how it is on Sundays here. How it is in small groups it makes such a difference when people just come. Even if you don't feel in the mood to say anything, your physical presence will encourage the others there. Or having people around, just being with them. It's great that we had the link-up lunch, wasn't it, last term? There's another one of those planned. But I think the idea of them is not to become a regular thing necessarily, but to prompt us into doing that sort of thing ourselves. Being friendly, spending time with, with brothers and sisters as we travel together on the road. So, this new year stretches out in front of us, and what kind of year will it be? I don't mean healthy eating, although salad is fine if you like that. What sort of year will it be spiritually? Maybe for some of us, it's time to start that journey Maybe 2015 is the year. And if you don't start now, when will you? For others, some of us here, some of our brothers and sisters who can't be with us this morning, this might be the year that they finish the journey. For most of us, I guess what we're hoping for is steady progress and perseverance. And so what the writer says to us is let us hold fast, let us draw near, and let us stir up. Let's pray together. Our Father, we long that these three things would mark the year that lies ahead of us in our own lives and as a church. Lord, please grant us the strength to keep on going. Please keep us from temptation. And will we know your sustaining, preserving grace. Lord, please would this be a year when our relationship with you is strengthened. Not necessarily in outward activity, but in an inward knowledge of God. In time spent with you. Lord, please grant us a taste of that future with you. And Lord, please use us in one another's lives. We pray that we would be open with one another and generous with our time. Help us to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. This to be a place where 
people don't get left behind or lost, but loved and kept on going when that would be hard on their own. Lord, we ask that you would do these things in us, for us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and for your name's sake. Amen.